Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth, that you would help us to know, experience, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There are literally millions and millions and millions of Christians around the world that are gathering this morning to celebrate Easter. And many of those gathered right at the break of dawn to celebrate this. And there aren't many holidays. This is really the only big holiday that's celebrated chiefly at that time. And we might ask the question, why is that? Well, there are a couple reasons for that. One, of course, is the information that we get about the empty tomb and this news and all breaks right at the start of the day. So there's that. But it's also some symbolism that this is a new day. This is a new day of mercy that's beginning on this. And so we start the day this way, celebrating as we go. And we've just heard the Easter gospel read where we hear one of these accounts of what takes place on that morning. And we might ask the question, why is Easter so important? Why is it such a big deal? And of course, all of these big Christian holidays are all connected in some ways. We'll talk about this in a minute. But the chief one has to be Easter. Every single Sunday is a small Easter. Every single Sunday we get together, we're celebrating this Easter miracle and what takes place at Easter. Why? I think if you had to summarize very quickly and shortly why it's such a big deal, it's because in this moment, when it happens exactly the way Jesus said it would happen, that he was going to suffer, die, and be raised up, any doubts people had who are in his circle are gone. Everything he said is true. It's this, it validates, it brings forth the truth of everything that he said. And maybe that's needed because he said a lot of things that were really out there, right? He's saying, I'm the son of God. He's saying, I'm human and divine. He's saying, I'm the truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. All these different things. Elsewhere, he's going to say, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you the water that's never, that's going to forever satisfy your thirst. And the same thing with I'm the bread of life. All these things he says in a moment, everything is validated. Everything, if they had any questions about it, it's all seen as true. And it really starts something new and it changes everything. And you know, we celebrate Easter. We're going to, we could stop right here and put on your Easter shoes and just dance and celebrate Easter right here. But it goes on from there, right? It goes on in our story. It also goes on today. And I want to say something about both of those. First of all, when we think about what goes on after this story, this isn't it. We don't stop reading about Jesus at this moment because Jesus is in Jerusalem for another 40 days. I mean, he's around, but principally in Jerusalem. And while he's there, he's meeting with people. He's preaching. He's cooking some meals. He's having, breaking bread with other folks. He's interacting. At one point, he's there with over 500 people. And you can imagine the effect this has in Jerusalem, right? I mean, you're, imagine yourself being one of the Roman guards who helped put Jesus to death. You've already been shaken because he forgave you from the cross at the moment. He's having nails put in his hands, and you're not used to seeing that. But then you're walking down the street, and you see him. That changes things, right? So we know in the very early part of the church, half of Jerusalem becomes Christian. Because this stuff is starting. It's a new day. It's the power of getting that all this stuff is, re is real pervades and goes deep into all these different places. And it really is beginning something new. 
As I said before, all of these great Christian things we celebrate are all connected. I'm going to rewind back to Christmas for a moment, and even actually before Christmas, back in Advent, when we're lining up for Christmas, you may remember that John the Baptist's dad, Zacharias, has this moment where he can finally speak, and he puts out this beautiful song, the Benedictus, this song of Zechariah. And part of what he says is, you are going to go and prepare the way for this great one who's coming. And he talks about how it's happening because of God's tender mercy. That there's going to be this day spring from on high, this new day, this new thing beginning that's going to happen. And this Easter, what I want to do is we want to celebrate and talk about Easter as we've done, but we want to talk about how Easter doesn't end there. Because Easter, this new day of mercy, goes forward from there. It goes forward, as we've said, in Jerusalem. It goes forward through history, and it goes forward today. We're starting a new sermon series today that's going to go on for a number of weeks, where what we're doing is we're talking about what it means that this new day of mercy started and what it means when we bring this mercy on board into our lives. That this, sometimes we get people who'll say, you know, I, I, I kind of believe this, but I feel like God's not very close. That's something that's on our part, not on God's part. And if we can grasp and get a hold a little bit more of God's mercy and his love, that gap closes. It's on our side as we receive more of it and take it on board. And along with that, as we do that, it'll send us out into the world, into the brokenness of the world and the gaps that exist there. That's what we want to focus on. But the whole hinge of this thing is Easter. That's when the new day of mercy begins. That's when it all starts. And we want to talk about our spiritual growth in all this. And my conviction and our conviction here is, again, that if we take on board this mercy, this love, and this grace, it'll bring us close. That Easter power will come into us. And the things you read about in Scripture, we'll see more inside ourselves. One of the things we, you'll hear Father Eric do it at the blessing at the end, but, but one of the passages of Scripture and the words he's going to repeat talk about the peace which passes all understanding. If we want more of that peace which passes all understanding, we receive more of that by opening up and receiving more of that mercy and love and grace inside of us. And it has all these different effects. Less anxious, more stable as we, as we get a new perspective on the life that we're living. More room for joy. Jesus talks about coming. We can have abundant life. All these kinds of things. We take on more of this. We experience more of that. So that's what we want to turn to and look at over these weeks. We want to talk about how we get more of that mercy in our lives. And the place I want to start is by just thinking about what are we talking about with God's mercy for a minute. What do we mean? There's one, uh, um, I'm going to say celebrity pastor, but one pastor who's written a lot, he's been on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, if not years. He defines mercy this way. He says mercy is God's unmerited forgiveness and his undeserved kindness. That's the way he defines it. And I think that's what we're talking about is unmerited forgiveness, undeserved kindness. When you've done something wrong and somebody forgives you even though you don't deserve it, that's mercy. And that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about in all this. That's the mercy that we're talking about. And I think it's really close to grace, how we view these. And I'm not going to go into splitting hairs at the minute. There is a difference between mercy and grace, but they're extremely close. 
But, but we ultimately begin to experience God's mercy, grace, and love through this miracle of Easter. Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And we need this mercy. So I want to spend just the rest of our time thinking about how that mercy comes on board with us in a number of ways. And we're going to start this. But today I just want to look at this. When we mess up, what does God's mercy do with us? And certainly we all mess up. I mess up. If we're honest, you'll say you mess up. I've met very, met very few people who are willing to say I don't mess up. Nobody bats a thousand, right? I mean... One of the, St. John writes uh, in scripture that if we think we don't ever mess up, we're deceiving ourselves. We're the person that doesn't want to own it. And so we deceive ourselves. We all mess up. We mess up sometimes with our words. I've been thinking about this. I know a woman in East Dallas who, uh, in the last couple of weeks, she messed up with her words. Now, that's not so good. She said something she shouldn't have said. Problem is, it was, it was caught on the video. Problem is, it went viral. Seven million people watched it, and um, it was something bad. But in fairness, I was happy the news crew came out and met with her, and she got to say, look, that's not who I am. I said something wrong. You know, this is not my character. She slipped up. We all slip up at points with our words or with our actions. Certainly no idea. There are times when we say something, and the second you do it or say it or whatever it is, you know you wish you could take it back. You know right then you wish you could take it back. We all do that. The question is, what does God do with that? What is, when we come with our mess-ups and all these things with God, what's he do? And the answer is, he meets it with mercy. And if I had to pick one story from the Bible that talks about this kind of mercy, I would pick one I want to walk through right now, and it's from John 8. Some of y'all will know it. If you don't, it doesn't matter because I'm going to kind of walk through it just kind of saying what it is. But there's this moment in John 8 where we read about this woman who the Pharisees have caught, as the scripture says, in adultery. And the Pharisees, just to back up for a minute, you'll remember, there's, they're this religious group that are like hypercritical, hypocritical at times, but they're really hypercritical. They're doing all this, and they hate Jesus. Let's be clear. The religious leaders hated Jesus. And they're going to use this moment to try to trap him. So they bring this woman, they display her in public, and they say, look, we found this woman caught in this relationship she's not supposed to have. The law of Moses says we, we should all pick up stones and begin to hit her with them. What do you say, Jesus? And this thing is a trap, right? And they're trying to trap Jesus. We get the scripture the way it reads. It talks about how she's caught. She's caught in this wrong relationship. And I would pause there just to sort of ask the question, if the Pharisees could look in on us, how many things are they going to pull us out into the public in saying they've caught us? Because there's so many things I think we can get caught in, and we do get caught in. You think about the wrong relationships we get caught in, or you think about secret sins of one form or another, or materialism, or some rampant competition that we get in where we don't care about anything. All these different ways we, we get trapped up and get caught up in things. She gets caught in a wrong relationship, and they haul her out publicly, and they're going to try to capture Jesus. And so the story goes on, you know, and Jesus' reaction to this, they brought her, here she is, public display, they've said all this. Jesus kneels down in the ground, and he begins to write something with his finger. We don't know at this moment what he's writing, 
But they keep demanding. They're trying to capture him. What are you going to say? What are you going to do? We're not going to let you off with that. What are you going to say? What do you, we want to hear what your reaction is. And Jesus finally stands up and he says, look, looks at them all and says, whichever one of you guys is without sin, you go ahead and throw that first stone. And Jesus gets back down on his hands and knees and he begins to write again. And what we know is they all leave, starting with the oldest. As scripture makes a moment to tell us. The, elderly, the elders there leave first. We don't know. Nobody knows what Jesus wrote. I always imagine he's writing stuff that reminds them of their brokenness at this moment. I imagine the Pharisee who's had his own wrong relationship, her name just got written in the sand. Or somebody who's got whatever it is, he's writing little things in the sand for each of them. And I think it's, you know, we, we pause here for a moment, just hold all that for a moment, because, you know, I, I sometimes like to say there's a whole sermon right here, and there is a whole sermon. Because stop right here and just notice how Jesus protects the dignity of this woman. He, he's holding everything and protecting her at this moment. And I think if we're, anything we're going to say about the Christian message, and for those of us who are going to follow and try to live out Jesus' teaching to us, we are always going to be about the dignity of others. We're always going to be like he was, accepting this woman, loving this woman with whatever she goes to. Now, he's going to say, don't do that. You're not going to flourish with that at the end. But he's about protecting her dignity, accepting her, and loving her. And that's part of who we are and what we're called to be. And I'm sorry for when the church has got that wrong, because we, we do get that wrong at times. And the story goes on, as I said, and everybody leaves. And I always wonder... Maybe as I get a little older, I wonder a little more, why does it say that the older ones left first? My theory on this is the longer you live, you know you've messed it up. <laughs> and I'm not picking on any of our college folks, but I think it's the college people that are like, what? I got something wrong? <laughs> it takes a little longer maybe when you're younger to see that name in the sand and go, oh, yeah, that's right, and to, and to head on our way. But what we know is at the end, they all leave. And there's this private moment. Now they're in private. Jesus has protected her dignity. They have this private moment. It's just the two of them. And Jesus looks at her and says, look, is nobody here to condemn you? No, no one's here. Well, neither, neither do I. Go. And don't sin because you're not going to flourish that way. Don't sin. She gets full on God's mercy. And it's amazing. And I think when we fall and we bring our failures and our brokenness and all our hang-ups to God, this is what we're met with. We don't get condemned either. God wants to love us and transform us. And I think that's what he's about. And it all starts with a new day of mercy that we get on Easter. And, you know, there, we come back to thinking about th that's part of what Jesus is about. A lot of people will tell you that if you go read the early chapters of Luke's gospel, you get to Luke 4, there's this moment where he goes into the synagogue and they hand him Isaiah's, the scroll from Isaiah, and he stands up and he reads this passage and says it's fulfilled and you're hearing it, that that statement he reads is his mission statement. And part of what it says is, I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring release to the captives. And a lot of people will look at this and say, he's not just talking about those in prison cells somewhere but about the other things that make us captive, the things that we regret. And part of our question is, what are those things 
that we regret that way? What are the prisons we've made for ourselves? The things that tie us up, that we hold on to, that are, that are taking freedom from us. The resentment we have towards somebody who hurt us, whether they did it intentionally or non-intentionally, resentment for that, or resentment that's of some, I mean, not resentment, but envy of somebody else's life. Oh, I wish I had their family. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their circumstances. And we can get wrapped up where that holds us. Or anxiety where we worry about how it's all going to work out because we, we think we control it. Or the secret sins that pull us into some kind of addiction or whatever else it is. And I think we come to Jesus with all this stuff. We get mercy too. I think Jesus would go back and say the passage which he says, I didn't, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. He's not here to judge that way. And in the end, he's going to say, look, mercy triumphs over judgment. We come to Jesus and we, we acknowledge what he already knows. Our brokenness, our mess-ups, our hang-ups. He doesn't scold us. He's like what he does with this woman. He's not going to condemn us. He wants to embrace us with life, with salvation. He wants to be the one to remind us that mercy will triumph over judgment. That's the beauty of it. And this is all wrapped up in Easter. This whole new day of mercy begins on this day, this day we remember. This new day spring from on high, as Zechariah's song says, begins today. And it's his mercy that flows ultimately from the cross and the resurrection. And his life is what we receive and the love that we hold. It's wrapped up in this Easter. And so that's part of our celebration. That's part of what we want to celebrate today. So I hope you'll join in receiving that mercy and celebrating it. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. And um, we thank you for all the mercy and love and grace that you shower us with. And on this particular day, we thank you for this new day of mercy that begins and what it means that there, we celebrate Easter as it took place long ago, but we celebrate the Easter that happens today and happens in our own lives. Help us to be open in new ways to receive your mercy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.